Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is Anupa Mystery, and you're listening to Burnout, short conversations about creative sustainability with working artists. Debbie Friday is definitely a chameleon, and her 2018 EP, Bitch Punk, is proof. It's a strange and compelling mix of experimental club music, throaty hardcore, and what sounds like soca or calypso thrown in for good measure. Earlier this year, Debbie shared a post on Instagram about being two years sober. And I think the fact that it caught me off guard says more about me and what I've absorbed about who is affected by substance abuse. Recently, Debbie, who lives in Vancouver, put out another EP called Death Drive, so I was able to catch her when she was on tour in Toronto. She told me about what it means to make experimental music, the transformative power of shouting, and why getting sober saved her life. Just a heads up, this conversation mentions suicide and depression. At that point, it was like very apparent to me that my old life was just dying. Like everything was dead. Like I no longer lived in Montreal. Like, and I was, and I knew I was never going to move back. Mm. Don't quote me on that. But like, I just, (laughs) I knew for the time being, like I was never going to move back. You're not going to move back. Let's just put it out into the world. I'm, yeah, I'm just not going to move back there. And then the way, a lot of ways that I used to live you know, it was done. I think you have to mourn before you can allow the new to take its place. artist and just all around creative person. I have been living in Vancouver now for about a year. It'll be a year and a half at the end of this year. I needed a complete and total change of pace. And one of the transformations was just in where I lived. That was the place that opened up for me. And I just went. It opened up for you. How? I had only been DJing for about a year. There was just so many things going on in my life at the time. Um, Everything was just falling apart. And then I went to go live at my mom's house in her basement for like nine months. And she lives in Calgary. Um, and I decided to just on a whim to go back to school, um, because I'd always wanted to go to art school. I got in. And so I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm moving to Vancouver. (laughs) Is it Emily Carr or SFU? Oh, SFU. Okay, cool. Can you tell me about what you identify as like your earliest interaction with music that inspired you or sparked an impulse to create? I really started out as a writer. That Mm. was like my first love ever. I have like boxes of notebooks that I would fill with my writing. I wrote a lot of poetry. I had like a lot of like fiction writing and nonfiction. I had a lot of diaries and journals and stuff like that that just felt very um, freeing because I could put down my emotions for a couple of years though, I didn't do anything creative. Like I was very, very depressed at the time. Like for, I'd say it was like a span of about like three, four years. Randomly out of the blue, a friend of mine asked me like, Hey, do you want to DJ this party? Um, not that I had a proven track record of being a DJ or anything. Um, but I was like, yeah, sure. And it was amazing. From that moment, I was just like, all right, this is something I'm going to do and something I'm going to pursue. 
Uh, so it was really, I mean, you obviously had this creative past, but it was really just like DJing one time that kind of gave you the bug. For music? Yeah. Yeah, I would say that's what really started off. Um, I used to write lyrics too when I was writing, like I'd write little song lyrics and stuff. Um, what about the production side of things? Oh, that came much later. Like that came later. Like I've only been producing for like a year and a half. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How did growing up in Montreal shape your understanding of what kind of music you wanted to make? Well, the first part of my life was definitely more so shaped by my home life. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm Nigerian and I was actually born in Nigeria. My family immigrated to Canada when I was around two years old. I've never been back. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Okay. But my parents this year is like the first year that they've been in Canada for longer than when mm. they've been in Nigeria. Yeah. So what kind of music were your parents listening to? A lot of uh, like Fela Kuti, King Sunia Day. That was my dad's favorite. And like a lot of the Nigerian like pop music it was more jazz type. Mm. It's a, It was a different type of Afrobeat. It wasn't mm -hmm. Afrobeat as we know it today, which is much more like pop and like Americanized. It was like a type of Afrobeat like associated with like Fela Kuti and heard a lot of like folk music. So it's like these little songs that people and communities would sing. Like there's a song you sing on your birthday. There's a song mm. you sing like my mom used to have this one little song that she would sing um like a potty training song to like get me to go to the bathroom <laughs> yeah and then I also heard a lot of I guess what you would call like Canadian music like Avril Lavigne mm. and like you know like some plan yeah that type of stuff <laughs> like I listened to a lot of that and um I used to like download just random things off of LimeWire and that's where I first got introduced to electronic music my family was very strict. I was never really allowed to go out. So for me, it was like my gateway was the internet. Totally. And so it wasn't very much like a localized scene in my experience. Mm -hmm. Bitch Punk was your first DP. Bitch Punk came out when you were still living in Montreal? No, I was not. Oh. I, uh, I was just about to move to Vancouver at that point. So, so I guess really you haven't experienced what it necessarily means to like be an artist mm -hmm. in Montreal. Even when I was DJing, I was touring a lot. Like mm -hmm. I would often play shows outside of the city mm -hmm. and I was able to do really great things like go and tour Europe. But yeah, I didn't really have the experience of like being like a Montreal artist. Mm -hmm. And at this point now, I would say I don't think I'll ever have that experience. I definitely was shaped in the sense of like I came of age in the club scene there because mm -hmm. Montreal has a very special nightlife community. Yeah. Um, I don't know how it is now, but in the golden age, it was literally what saved me so many times just being able to go out and be with people in those spaces. It was mm -hmm. very, very special. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What is your interpretation or your impression of the arts community or the music scene in Vancouver? They have such a wide and vast array of people doing all sorts of things. As an outsider, I find them very disjointed. I don't see a lot of overlap. I, I feel Toronto's like that, yeah. Okay. The pockets are probably bigger. Mm -hmm. I, I wish there was more overlap here. Yeah, I, I respect it as well. And more so it's like taking what works from the people I encounter and then leaving the rest. There is something to be said about having power in numbers, but uh, I find it difficult to find like a set group. And I've always been like that, even throughout high school. And that's the way I like to live. I like to meet people as people rather than as like whatever group. I don't get anything from it. The MFA that you're doing. Yeah. Can you tell me about like what your 
studying or what you're exploring in that program? Yeah. So I'm doing an MFA in interdisciplinary studies Mm -hmm. at SFU. I have my own issues with academia and the way that our education system is set up. But not only do I feel like I've gotten access to resources that I otherwise wouldn't have gotten, Mm -hmm. it's also been just like a safe place for me to explore so many things that I wouldn't have had the space to um, explore otherwise. In my MFA, I'm doing a lot more like performance art, experimental writing. I'm also exploring like building an instrument and then I'm going to make that into a, I'm going to create a performance around it. What is Um, it? I haven't named it yet, uh, but it's huge. It's like a six feet tall shaped thing and (laughs) I'm uh, stringing it up and attaching contact microphones to it. And right now I'm thinking it's going to be percussive based, Mm. but when I come up with a name, I'll let you know. Who are some of your inspirations across disciplines? I like people who create their own lanes. It might be like pushing genres or it might Mm -hmm. be pushing our understanding of Mm -hmm. concepts. Someone that comes to mind right now, I just saw something on her Instagram was Sebdaliza. And her show was absolutely beautiful because you could tell that she had put so much thought into every aspect of the show. There was dancing, there was lights, there was like all... um, And then there was the concepts behind it and there's all of these things that joined together. Okay, I didn't know how to formulate this question, so let's work through it together. I just feel like when people see the phrase experimental artist, Mm -hmm. they don't think of a young black woman. That's true. Okay, so that's the question. Like, (laughs) I mean, what are the things you're working through with regards to the identities that you happen Mm -hmm. to occupy? Ever since I, you know, first put out Bitch Punk, it's this thing that people do where they see your skin color first Mm -hmm. before, like, seeing anything else about you like i've had people call my music hip-hop oh yeah you're not a rapper yeah i am not a rapper (laughs) like someone called me like r&b at one point i was like you know and to me that just tells me it's like you're not listening Mm. you know you're just using your eyes and you see oh black person they must be making either hip-hop or r&b or something like that i felt misunderstood Mm -hmm. and i think that's something that goes back to just my childhood and my life in general is just like this feeling of being misunderstood is something that I've battled for a long time. Instead, I've turned it around into like having a deeper understanding of myself. I know now that the people who get it, they really get it. And I appreciate it so much because that means that they're taking the time to actually listen and they're not just like mindlessly consuming being a young black Canadian woman in experimental (laughs) music. Like, I don't know if it's been done before, really. One of my activities I had to do in um, one of my studio classes last year was name some of your contemporaries or like Mm. name some people and stuff that, you know, that we say are doing like similar things. And like, there's people I could point to in the sense who are 
experimenting in their own way, but like in the way that I'm doing, I, d I really don't know. Um, and that's okay. That's actually okay. I think it's better in a way because then at least it tells me that I'm being authentic. And then it also tells me that I'm making a way so that there can be more. Mm -hmm. The um, post of you playing around with Tonto mm -hmm. in Calgary at the National Music Center yeah. from base camp earlier this year, that went viral. Yeah. A black woman mm -hmm. producer, like, look. It's crazy because <laughs> I got so many messages from people from that who were just like, it's so inspiring to like, you know, see another black woman producer and like see another black woman in electronic music. And maybe I am, maybe this is like showing the, the, um, privileges that I've had in my life, but I'm like, I literally know so many black women who produce music mm -hmm. and it just, it's kind of sad that like, it's not as like widely available knowledge. Mm -hmm. But once again, I think that comes with a lot of the pigeonholding that happens when you are a black woman in music and people expect you to either one, just be a vocalist. And then also two, they expect you to like make like, I don't know, R&B or hip hop once again, like we are so much more expansive than that. I would love to see more support for creative people coming from within various non-white communities or communities of color um, for like kind of like the weirder, more experimental um, end of things. <laughs> no, I totally agree with you. I actually find in my own experience, like a lot of the misunderstanding will come from either other people of color or other black people. Mm -hmm. A lot of times it's, it's strange, I guess. You're right to bring up privilege because actually electronic music is black music mm -hmm. that's been erased. And also I think it has to do with rewiring um, I think it has to do with rewiring our thinking. People really just got caught up in identity as being some sort of like fixed category that's like easily understandable. So we end up looking at each other as these categories instead of like looking at each other on a very human level, mm -hmm. which if you look at people on a human level, you're not going to be able to tell what kind of music they make, what kind of music they like, what anything, you know, it's like you actually have to get to know the person. It's like dialectic, right? It's two different things that kind of stem from identity, which is that it's been really powerful in helping people identify and speak about grievances um, and oppression, but also sometimes I think that we marginalize ourselves. Yes. I actually made a post about this um, not too long ago. That some of the coverage around me was always like positioning me in this way of like saying like Debbie Friday, like, you know, who comes from like at this it's, it was almost like positioning me in this way of being like this traumatized, oppressed individual really? because of my identities. It was like black queer woman and like um, her music is informed by her trauma and oppression and stuff. Like I just saw a lot of that framing mm. and it was very frustrating because one, I don't make music about trauma or oppression. Um, and two, it's kind of like, I see it happen, not only just to me, but I actually see it happen quite a bit to, um, artists of color, just in general. It's like, you are only speaking from a place of like the oppression that you faced as a result of that identity. Mm -hmm. Not everybody who holds X identity is having the same experience. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like it's a misrepresentation. That's mm -hmm. what I said. It was a misrepresentation. It also obscures like just how much you do, right? Like sometimes I'm like, when we focus on that, we're not talking about like... The work. We're not talking about the yeah. work. We're not engaging yeah. actually with the work. So you have the sonic philosophy. So you wrote a paper called 
there a sound shouting as aesthetic practice. Can you talk a bit about it? I wrote that paper last year and I presented it this year at the Sonic Waves Symposium in Manchester coming from this experimental and punk, very, very punk musical like background. And, you know, that's the, my musical practice. It's the way that I perform. Um, and I just wanted to put it down on paper. A shouting is a way of reaching into the void and finding myself. Um, and it's also a way of doing something more than just being like an againstness. It's, you know, it is abrasive and it's loud and it's, uh, it can be a repelling force. I just said that, you know, shouting does more than that. I think it, um, creates a space for pure expression. Mm. You know, the first thing we do when we are born is we, we shout, we scream. Um, and that's uh, taken as a sign of life. Mm. And I think that there's something there. Life can be kind of on the same parallel as like shouting. Like what does that leave space for? I think it leaves space for a lot of creation. A mm. lot of creation. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Your music has been described as angry and aggressive, but just thinking about how you're reframing the vocal aggression, I'm wondering what those words mean to you. Angry and aggressive. Well, sometimes I'm angry and sometimes I'm aggressive and sometimes I'm not. (laughs) Um, I kind of, yeah, it has been described, my music has been described as angry and aggressive a lot. And I think it's just like the way that like collectively people understand like shouting. Mm -hmm. And like when you hear a woman yelling on a track, it's like immediately you're going to associate it with like anger and aggression and, you know, violence and all this stuff. And yes, it can be those things. But I also think that um, it can also be things like grief, which is something I explored a lot on my um, newest EP on mm-hmm. Death Drive. There was a lot of joy on Bitch Punk because I felt very free. I just wanted to shout. I felt like I heard bitch punk and I was like, this is a person who knows who they are. How, how did you arrive at that sound? Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that I know who I am. Mm-hmm. I don't think any of us. Well, know. Yeah, yeah, we're working. Pro- but I guess <laughs> yeah. I mean, know who you are and that you trust your intuition. Mm, yeah. yeah, that I would say 100 percent. I go with my gut. I go with my intuition. I consult myself before all else. I felt this impulse towards those sounds. It was really like a, a, a creation of that came out of a flow state. I made Bitch Punk in my mom's basement on a broken MacBook mm-hmm. with like a cheap ass microphone. Um, and I wasn't trying to prove anything to anyone. If anything, I was trying to prove anything it was to myself that like I'm here, like mm-hmm. I have something to say. 
when I listened to Duff Drive, something about it felt optimistic to me. At that point, it was like very apparent to me that my old life was just dying. Like everything was dead. Like I no longer lived in Montreal. Like, and I was, and I knew I was never going to move back. Mm. Don't quote me on that. But like, I just, I knew for the time being, like, I was never going to move back. You're not going to move back. And Let's just put it out yeah, into the world. Like, I'm, yeah, I'm just not going to move back there. And then it was also just like the way, a lot of ways that I used to live. I think you have to mourn before you can allow the new to take its place. I was sad. I was lonely. I was processing a lot of grief from like old relationships, like old friendships, the person I used to be. Mm. But you're right in the sense that there was a joy in it. It was like almost like a release. Now I get to choose who I want to be. My favorite song is Nate Fictive, um, which is a collaboration with Chena Amobi yes. of Non Worldwide. I guess I'm more interested in understanding what you want to get out of the collaboration and the community that you do build. Well, collaboration is something that's still very new to me, being open enough to let other people in. Both of the collabs on Death Drive came about very organically. It was like, these are people whose music and artistry I really respect. Mm -hmm. And for the, the Nate Fictive with Chino, it was like I had done the whole sound design and the end part of it didn't have anything. It just had like the crowd and the riot, but I was like, Oh, this is missing something. Like I, I kind of, I need something else on this. And so I asked him if he would write something for that. And he graciously said, yes, it just felt, it was perfect. It just felt so, it felt right. It just mm -hmm. felt like, okay, this is what this track needs. As much as I love my music, sometimes it needs more than me and that that's okay. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not a betrayal. It's not like mm -hmm. um, a thing of like saying that I'm not good enough. And the best way to like love my art is to allow it to um, get what it needs. It is, I think, a bit of a defense mechanism to be like, I can do it all myself. If I explain it to you, then I have to risk you not understanding and then I have to either explain myself or I have to do the harder work of like refining. There's a lot of vulnerability involved in that. Of course. Not sitting around like beating up on yourself yeah. or... Or martyring yourself. Like, just like, oh, I have to do everything. I know, but I love martyring myself. Like, oh, it was, it's a bad <laughs> habit I have too. It's like, it's a very bad habit. It's great that you actually describe it like that because it is a habit. Some people bite their fingernails. You like, are like, oh. Everything's so hard for me. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> oh, I have to do everything myself. Like, no one else knows how to do it properly. Yet. I'm the only one who can do it. Like, You know, I've, I've always felt like a deeply intuitive person, but I think I spent most of my career, which is the last 10 years, like really um, absorbing and internalizing um, the way other people don't understand my intuition and feeling like if I'm not getting through, then I must be doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. When you feel doubt or distrust or uncertainty, um, how do you work through that? What's for you is for you. Mm -hmm. And what's not for you, who? Trust me, it's not for you. Like, you don't even want it. And every single time that something has not happened that I wanted to happen, I will we'll look back on the situation and just be like, fuck, like, thank God that that didn't end up happening the way that I thought it should. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I like what I might think is best is not what's actually best. Totally. Um, I really believe in this idea of like the forces of the universe. Intuition is a good word because I feel like what we're talking about is like the difference between intuition and assumption. It's really important when like the world pushes back on you and challenges your own assumptions about yourself. 
when life is like, actually, no, you're not going to get that grant. You're not going to get signed to this label that you love. It forces you to be like, I'm going to go back into myself and actually see what's what and why I thought that was my only path because it's not my only path. Our imagination is not big enough to Mm. even like encompass all of the things that we're going to do in this life. The sobriety thing, you posted about it on Instagram and the caption, I'm going to read it. You said, rebirth and grief share a bed. And sometimes it is hard to build a house on joyful noise and morning song. Change is good. Why did you decide to get sober? To save my life. I have battled with substance abuse since I was a teenager. Like I started drinking when I was maybe like 13, 14 and doing drugs around that same time. When I was in a really dark place, I remember just having multiple brushes with, you know, with death and also with complete and totally total like self-destruction and like destroying my life and everything. And that's because I was sad. I was very sad and I always overdid it. I know that came from a very self-destructive place and that came from almost like this like passive um, suicidal ideation. It was like, I just wasn't very interested in life. I wasn't Mm. very interested in being alive. It was more just like passing the time. Basically, I've been sober now for two years. When I decided to get sober was when every single thing in my life just crumbled around me. And I had the choice of either, you know, get sober and get your shit together somehow or just continue to self-destruct. And I don't even know how long I would be on this planet, really. You know, my issues with substances were not just affecting me, but they were affecting every single person that I loved in my life. And, you know, I'm very ambitious. (laughs) So (laughs) I think at that point, it was like my ambition outweighed my self-destructive tendencies. It's easy to talk about it now and just be like, yeah, I got sober, but it was not an easy process. Like I just went cold turkey on everything. And for a long time, I felt like a failure because I was like, what's wrong with me that I can't just partake in this like Mm. how everyone else is. Being sober now for two years, it's like I realize how much, you know, just socializing revolves around alcohol or like revolves around partaking in drugs. I just I don't really see many women, especially uh, black, brown women speaking as openly about the benefits of sobriety, um, I guess outside of a religious or moralizing Mm -hmm. context. The reason I feel like being very public with this is because I think that a lot of people can benefit. When I was in the phase of feeling like very like self-destructive, it's like it would have helped so much to been able to like turn or like see someone who's either like in the same age category as me or someone who looks like me being able to be like, it's okay. Like you don't have to drink. You don't have to do this. And and there's like another, you will have another life outside of this. Mm. Um, And just in general, it helps me. I think it keeps me accountable. Um, And it also reduces like the feeling of shame. Like shame has been something I've been tackling a lot, a lot. And I think shame really is like the true killer, like in our society. Like if there's anything that is going to end a life, it's going to be shame. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't want to give it that power over me. I'm so much more creative now and I'm able to stay consistent Mm -hmm. in a way that I wasn't able to before because I'm present And I think that helps so much when it comes to creativity because creativity is not just the thing of like, oh, you're eureka moment and that's it. It has to be a practice. It's Mm. like a daily thing. 
What does creative sustainability look like to you? It looks like having a long and prosperous career that is connected to a network of people that I not only work with, but people that I am in true community with, like living together, growing together, learning together. And, you know, we are able to do that for a long time and all the growth and learning and the things that we create are able to sustain not only us and our lives, but the lives of those who come after us doing for the self, doing for others, um, doing for those who don't even exist yet, doing in a way that allows them to come through and allows them to also, you know, build upon whatever it is that we've made. Like, I don't want to be the last of the experimental young black woman, you know, like I, um, building things requires like more than just, you know, a professional like relationship. I think it requires like real intimacy. Thanks so much for listening to another season of burnout. I hope you enjoyed listening to these episodes as much as I loved making them. And there's more on the way really, really soon. So subscribe via your favorite podcasting platforms. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. It really helps. And if you subscribe to my newsletter, you'll also hear more about what I'm up to and what's going on in the world of work, creativity, and memes. (laughs) You can sign up at anupa.substack.com. That's A-N-U-P-A dot substack.com. I have good news. (laughs) I got a grant. So this episode of Burnout is supported by Factor and Canada's private radio broadcasters. If you have a music-related project, visit factor.ca to learn more about their programs. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.